Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska, where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome aboard Must Read Alaska, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. And we are the place for conservative news and content. And we're standing up strong for a good, strong America and a free Alaska always in your corner fighting for your constitutional rights and there's a lot to fight for these days and you are worth it you can also find must read alaska on our website at mustreadalaska.com and on facebook and instagram twitter linkedin and a whole bunch of the other social media sites that are out there and we also have a column at newsmax uh, where i write every couple of weeks a column called must read america i hope you check that out um, thanks for tuning in and hello to John Quick, my co-host uh, in Nikiski, wonderful Nikiski, where you got you guys have car fires and stuff going on. And tell me what's going on over there. Well, we have dip netting season in full effect here uh, on the Kenai River, as most folks know, if they're in Palmer or Wasilla or Anchorage, they come down here and they do some fishing. And uh, uh, we had some folks come down uh, last couple of days and and he was trying to get out of the mud right on the Kenai River and decided that he didn't need any help. He was gonna just press on the gas and pray to God that his car would get unstuck. He unfortunately prayed to the wrong God and his car blew up. And uh, he must've had some propane, little propane tanks or something in his car because his car was burning for a good, I don't know, 30 minutes and every couple minutes there'd be an explosion or two. But the funniest part of the whole thing, now nobody was hurt, which is a good thing. But the funniest part of the whole thing is there's literally people, I don't know, this is 20 feet away from the river and there's people parked on either side of this guy in front, left, right, center, down, backwards. And nobody bothers to even move any of their, they're gonna keep fishing really. And nobody really stopped to do anything. They had too big of a fire to try to put out and, and uh, too, too little of an obstacle to deter them from not fishing and so, Everybody just kept on doing what they were doing. That yeah, was hilarious. I saw the video you posted on the Must Read Alaska Facebook page, and everybody's just like, "Okay, I got to go out and get my limit, and you know, just let let it burn out because you know you don't want to try to to what are you going to do? You're going to get a bucket and try to put it out. I mean, it's a roaring, raging, uh, cinematic fire. I mean, it looked like it was out of a video, and um, I kind of think people might have wanted to move their vehicles away because you don't know what was in his vehicle if he had like bullets in there or something they would have exploded it would have been shrapnel everywhere but people in alaska are just like well okay we just uh, you know we're gonna have to haul that one off with a tow truck but they were not going to stop dip netting they were just going to keep on going and i thought that was just only in kenai i think is as well anything else going on <laughs> with the politics in kenai i know that you know are they behaving on the river there are they leaving their cart the fish carcasses everywhere or have they finally gotten the message that they need to leave no trace Oh no, they, they, they uh, I don't know if they haven't got the message over the last 20 years, I don't know what's gonna give them to, you know, make them to be able to get the message. It's left in shambles every single year. Now, granted, it's probably, you know, 5% of the people that leave 90% of the mess, right? Yeah. Uh, but it still gets left a mess every year. 
and the folks at the city of Kenai and volunteers are left to really pick up after, after everybody. And a lot of these folks, they come down for a 20 hour trip. They drive down, they don't stay in a ho hotel. They don't really eat anywhere because they take all their own food. Yep. And we're not complaining about that on the Kenai, but God forbid you pick up after yourself. That's all we ask. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, they aren't really helping the economics of the Kenai because they're not staying in hotels, they're camping and they're just, it's a turn and burn. You go down and get your fish, put them in the cooler and head back. And it'd be nice if you just kind of brought your carcass to uh, someplace that I think there's disposal sites or take them with you. And, uh, but you know, just don't leave them there on the beach because it just stinks to high heaven. Well, um, any other politics going on down there? Not much. We're just gearing up to, uh, you know, start school again. We got a brand new superintendent who seems to be uh, open and receptive to at least hearing from conservatives, which I think that that's a step in the right direction. The last superintendent refused to even have a meeting with the with the with the current mayor, let alone listen to any parents who didn't believe 100% of what he believed. And so I think we're going to be a place be at a place this year where parents will put their kids for the most part back into school because masks will not be mandatory on the playground uh, during class, all that kind of stuff. So I think we'll see a, a, a more favorable, friendly administration, at least here on the peninsula. So I'm I hope so. I hope so. You guys deserve it. And I was down there in Soldotna for a good part of last week. And let me tell you, the, the environment in Soldotna, Kenai, that area, those businesses have thrived because they were never shut down. I mean, they were shut down very briefly last spring when the governor was saying, we've got to get geared up with our personal protective equipment and our, you know, we've got to make sure our hospitals are, have enough beds and ventilators. But it was a fairly brief period that he closed businesses down, anything that wasn't um, considered essential. And I don't know if there's even a single business down there that went out of business, but we'll be talking a little bit later today if we have time about um, the situation in Anchorage, where we're still seeing the, the calamitous effects of the um, business closures by the, the former mayors, Mayor Ethan Berkowitz, um, and then Austin Quinn Davidson. But before that, I want to remind everybody that it is the World Health Organization says that it's World Mask Week. And they want you to know that the right way to wear your mask is to make sure that you sanitize your hands before you touch it, that you, when you put it on, you're, you've washed your hands, and then before you take it off, you wash your hands, that you dispose of it correctly, and that uh, if, you, if you touch it anywhere on your mask, that you continue to sanitize your hands. And John, I don't know anybody who does that. The mask thing is um, it's just beyond ludicrous. People have never worn their masks correctly because that's not who we are. We aren't medical people. We're just trying to get by in our lives. And um, but the World Health Organization is still persisting, and we even have our own Surgeon General saying it's okay if we have these local mask mandates that go back into effect. That'll be okay. And I know LA has uh, started its mask mandate for all indoors starting last uh, Saturday at eleven fifty-nine p.m. And um, boy, I tell Did you, you hear what their sheriff it. said though. He's not going to enforce it. He's not going to enforce it because why? Because it goes against science. I love it. Yeah, I mean, at least the the, the sheriff gets the science. Speaking of science, you know, uh, I am I have I have called it the coronavirus. I've called it the China virus. I've called it the Wuhan virus. It is the China virus, and that is just something that these folks who don't who think that's racist need to get over. It is a location, not a race. It came from China. We need to acknowledge that. That is science. 
And all of our other viruses are named after places and including things like the Nile River or the Nile virus and the um, Lyme's disease, uh, the Rocky Mountain spotted fever, that type of thing. But I just wanna say that China started this virus and America finished it pretty much in one year. And the numbers really say that. I mean, we've, I've been vaccinated, you have not, we're all making our personal choices. And this is a really good example, John, you and I have made personal choices. I decided, you know, the age group that that virus wants to kill. And I think I should go ahead and get the vaccine. I'll be the, I'll be the guinea pig. You could be the control group. All right. Yep. And I think that this, it's a beautiful example of, we can have a difference of opinion on this and still be friends and still work together and still banter back and forth just because somebody has the virus or wears a mask or whatever uh, doesn't mean that you have to disavow or disown that person. You can still have community and have a difference of opinion. This is what the mainstream media wants you to think is that the only way is their way and the only right way is their way. And if you do not go their way, you are wrong and should be ostracized and put on some island and you know, left with the with all the Trumpers or something. It's yeah, it's yeah. The, 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 the media is driving the wedge between people, and you know there is a, a a natural kind of a wedge that could develop, and they're certainly driving it as hard as they can. But you know, we we won this thing. They they rolled this virus out in December of of 2019, approximately. Although there's some evidence that it may have come out a little bit earlier than that, because. Uh, they they have an awful lot of Chinese that from Wuhan province that go to Italy and produce all their leather goods. By the way, all the leather goods in Italy are produced by these Chinese in these factories that you never see. That's not on the main path. And uh, then, of course, Italy took a pretty big hit with the virus. A lot of people died. Um, but we are the greatest country in the history of the world. And I will tell you that I would never bet against the United States. We got a vaccine and um, you know, our president Trump, he wanted it out there. He wanted it fast. He wanted it ready to go. And he pushed them and said, you will get that vaccine out there. Let's go. I'll, you know, I'll lift all the, the limitations. And you know, the, not all the vaccines have been perfect, but to me, the evidence shows that it has really made a big difference in reducing the numbers. Of, um, of deaths. Although we do have some breakthrough cases, I've heard about that, we all heard about that, but people aren't dying in the numbers they were before. But they they brought the, the they probably worked on that virus for you know 10 years in some lab. And they probably tinkered with this aspect and that aspect. So oh, look, you know, if we we tinker with this little uh, part of it, then it'll attack people in this way. And so they roll it out and in one year we say, yeah, we got this. No other country in the history of the world has ever been able to achieve something like we've achieved. We really are the greatest country. And I was looking at some data from China. You know, you really can't trust anything that is coming out of China in terms of information. Those guys will lie through the teeth. They'll kill as many of their own people as they need to kill for the, you know, the, the greater goal of economic dominance in, in, the, in the world. They are still reporting to and through the World Health Organization that they have only had 119,698 cases of COVID. Now, tell me if that's credible. They've only had 5,916 deaths, they say. 
in all of China. And we know how many of those places are very congested. And I'm just gonna say that in Alaska, we've had more than half of that number of cases. We've had 60, we've had almost 70,000. We're just close to, to about 100 cases away from having 70,000 cases. I mean, we've had more than half of the cases in Alaska that all of China is reporting. So I, I just gotta say, you can't trust what the Chinese government says. This is not about the Chinese people. This is not about Chinese or, or Asian people's race. It is about their government and the way that they operate. And they, they produce the weirdest virus that this world has ever seen. It attacks some people some way. It attacks other people like their vascular response. It, it attacks people in their head, their, their brain fog. Other people have these long-term effects. You, you've never had the virus, so you don't know what it's like. But some people have died from pneumonia, just gurgled to death uh, from this stuff. It is nasty. And um, I've had a family member die from it as well. But um, I'm saying. You know, the, the thing that makes, the kind of, the thing that I kind of, I like to look at it through the common sense lens of, you know, Joe Blow that's just working a nine to fiver and plugging away at his life. And, and um, you know, I look at this as they're, they're saying, this is the world's deadliest virus. Now, AIDS has been around for what, 40 years, the virus. There's certain viruses that are in cancer that, that can kill people. Uh, there's other huge viruses out there that they have never found a vaccine for. And my common sense radar goes off and says, well, the world's deadliest virus pops up and somehow we found a cure for it or a vaccine for it in less than a year. And, you know, as I talk to the average Joe that lives in Nikiski, that's why they're not wanting to get a vaccine because they don't trust it. They don't yeah. think that there's any way possible that somehow we haven't been able to find a cure for AIDS in 30 years, but in nine months, we found a cure for the deadliest virus in the history of the world. And, well, that's uh, really interesting because I, I was just looking at this YouGov poll that the Economist magazine did, and this supports what you're saying, which is that 20% of Americans believe in the theory that microchips may have been planted inside these vaccines and that millions of people have gotten these microchips. Okay, 20% of Americans believe that. Um, there's really no evidence to support that, but it, it, you know, it shows you how suspicious people are of their government and of really, quite honestly, the media, the mainstream media, which has pushed the fear narrative. All of this past year, they have been hammering us, saying, You're all, we're all gonna die, millions of us are gonna die, and we're, we're gonna be stacked up like cordwood in the morgues. And it, it just was such a fear narrative. And then what happened is none of that came about. I mean, the, the virus is apparently 99.9% .9 survivable. And even though there really isn't any claim, uh, support evidence to support a claim um, that is for this sort of microchip theory, it's amazing that you've got 20% of Americans who think that. Now, most of those people who think that there's like, are probably Trump voters. Uh, you know, quite honestly, only 8% of, uh, in, this, in this poll, only 8% of the Biden voters really believe that, um, that there's a microchip as part of it. And Trump voters, it's, it's 29%. So that's kind of an interesting thing. You've got a lot of people, that's you know, 75 million Americans who are Trump supporters 
who are pretty suspicious. I mean, in general, they're suspicious. Now, I don't think there's a microchip in the vaccine. I don't think we can manufacture microchips that fast. But isn't that interesting that that's where we're at? Um, you, were, you were saying about people are suspicious that we have the worst virus the world has ever known. And then now we have the Delta variant. And of course, it's even worse. It's even more 50% more contagious than the first one. It's people are getting worn out from this stuff. They're not seeing the reality of it. I mean, there are people I know today who are in the hospital. I mean, I know people who are in the hospital with COVID. I mean, it's a, it is a very serious illness, but people aren't buying the, um, the fear mongering from it because you still have a survivability rate of, oh, I don't know, 99.8%, something like that. Yeah, and the, the, uh, one of the stats they can't, Hide, which I don't know if they've hit it now, but you know, a couple months ago it wasn't hidden. Was um, for the folks that go the extra layer and look into this, you know, even more. The CDC numbers for uh, deaths for seasonal flu have disappeared. They've went nowhere. Like literally, we've had you know no deaths for seasonal flu in the last twelve months. Um, right. Where historically we've. Um, I don't know if this is the correct number, but let's say historically we had 300,000 deaths a year or something like that. It went down to like 87 deaths um, for this seasonal flu year. And how the heck does that happen? The average guy, including myself, looks at that and says, listen, this could have just been the seasonal flu, for God's sake. You didn't have any seasonal flu deaths. You had a bunch of COVID deaths that were, I don't know, for the most part, possibly real tons of comorbidity in there. You know, somebody dies of falling off a building and he had COVID, they love label it as a COVID death. Uh, you know, we're seeing the Wall Street Journal, we're seeing all the mainstream media putting out this Delta variant fear narrative that is actually uh, just saying that all the hospitals are gearing up for a, a huge surge. But I saw some really interesting charts. I saw an interesting chart from Goldman Sachs uh, Global Re Research and they showed that those cases are going up, but the number of hospitalizations and fatalities is staying relatively flat. And so our medical, uh, our, our medical teams are able to handle the, the cases better. Of course, they're not seeing as many people come into the hospitals who are elderly or with a lot of other comorbidities, because quite honestly, those people have been vaccinated already. I mean, when you get all your sick people and all your old people vaccinated, Everybody else who's getting it, if they end up in the hospital, they have better odds and the hospital does have room for them. You know, millions of people have survived this virus and, uh, you know, enough about COVID. We, we want to talk about some other things before we go, but I just wanted to mention that you know, we really are a remarkable country. I don't, I don't really buy that there's been a conspiracy to infect us and then that some, with something that we could then cure. I, I, but I do think the Chinese um, government is completely responsible for this virus. And, and um, I don't think we'll ever be holding that country accountable because I tell you, they have moved ahead so quickly in um, the economic environment. And they, they've left us behind as we have st struggled to keep up with this, uh, with this virus and um, you know, just the way we shut our economy down. We have got to get this economy back up and running. And uh, so that's all I wanna say about that. I wanted to talk about another thing, John, which is very sad up here in Anchorage. 
and that is the closure of the Bradley House restaurant, which is a really, a, it's a landmark restaurant for if you live in, in anywhere in South Anchorage, it's a landmark restaurant, Got a great deck and a little garden out there, the waterfall. And they've done such a lovely job on that place. It is a beautiful restaurant and it's closing because the owner, Bernie Bradley, just could not take any more of the insecurity of not knowing if government would shut her down, open her up, shut her down. And with all the ups and downs of the past year, she said her workforce has just quit. I mean, they are, they've all gone off to other businesses that are more stable. These guys would rather be greeters at, at um, Walmart or, or Costco because at least they're not going to get their jobs taken away from them by the government every six weeks. And it was the, it was the shutdown that Austin Quinn Davidson did in December. That was the final straw for her. She said, that's it. Nobody's, you know, can't get people to come back to work. She tried raising their uh, wages to, you know, really high. It was, it was super good base wage, could not get people to come in and work in the kitchen, couldn't get them to come work in the restaurant. She installed a hundred thousand dollars worth of of cough barriers between the bar and um, and the clients and walls up between each booth. So just to kind of keep the air from moving around, man, that woman, she did everything possible. And the assembly did not care. They said, you're a restaurant, you're closing down. I got to tell you, it's a really big blow because we've had so many, if you drive around town, there are so many restaurants that are shut down. It was uh, Sweet Basil, Table Six, uh, uh, Lomax, Marco T's um, pizzeria there, and uh, now the Brad uh, Hard Rock Cafe left, and um, Bradley House. So we've really had a, a a lot of suffering in our business community in Anchorage. Not so in the Matsu; uh, their businesses are all up and running, and not so in um, in the Kenai where you are. Your businesses are are doing pretty well. Yeah, I mean it's unfortunate, uh, but this is a very prime data-driven example of how elections can have consequences. Well, you, sure. Anchorage elected a loony liberal left guy that had more sex scandals than actual accomplishments. And this is what happens when you elect clowns that don't have any business running uh, you know, a $300 million organization. And they will make choices to appease the left. And that, include, that usually includes not having a giving a care about your business or your family or your situation. And then you have a place like Kenai and uh, Wasilla and Palmer who have different situations. They had, they had mayors that cared about businesses and cared about people's well-being. And those businesses are thriving in a COVID world and, and Anchorage's is not, unfortunately. I yeah, hope they get back to it. Yeah, we, we, we've taken such a big hit up here, but you're right. Uh, Ethan Bergowitz was probably the worst mayor in the history of Alaska that I can think of. I mean, this is a guy who last year at, at this very time, he was down there at the BLM protest, the Black Lives Matter protest, talking to people and giving his speech saying, I look out and I see a sea of revolutionaries and it makes my heart glad. And I mean, what a panderer. And meanwhile, he's closing businesses, the people who are the job creators. And I heard something really interesting the other day. In the six years that he was in office there as the mayor, the, the city payroll increased by 99 people. So he was just packing on the, the people who worked for the city, just packing that payroll. And um, that's got to get unwound by this current mayor. And I'll be writing a little bit about that this week, I think. So 
What else is going on out in the world? Well, I uh, one of the uh, articles that I really enjoyed that you wrote, uh, I think it was a couple of days ago, is why Alaska can't have nice things. And I, I, uh, you know, uh, we're we're unfortunately at a place where, you know, like you've said in the article, where you you can't pool everybody in the same group. But the end result is this: is that Alaska is in a no better place than they were begin the beginning of this legislative session 150 days ago. Um, you know, other states have been able to pass significant amount of um, bills that are important to the folks that those people represent. Meanwhile, we've named some bridges and, you know, done some dedications, passed a horrible budget and not been able to give it a permanent fund to folks. And people are just getting sick and tired of the, the cycle of somebody telling you one thing to get elected and then doing the exact opposite when they get it, you know. Yeah, that's so true. And and unfortunately, you know, with all that said, we also we still have a permanent fund which has got eighty-one billion dollars in it, and we cannot figure out how to give people their their permanent fund dividend. Um, unfortunately, we've got a lot of lawmakers who are don't want to work with this governor, and seem to want to work against him, and don't want to provide any meaningful legislation at all, such as. How about a bill? To, well, we finally saw Tom McKay. He did. He did put a bill in to um, ban critical race theory as uh, as a, a curriculum item in our schools. That type of thing. And if you're going to start teaching uh, revisionist history in our schools, that that needs to not happen. Not in our publicly funded schools. That you can you can take up if you want to do your homeschool and do your critical race theory there. That's fine. But in our public schools, you need to be teaching kids our history and all, in all of our history, all of our history isn't good, but you, you know, you're not gonna be separating kids out and saying, all right, which one of you has got the privilege, please sit in the corner. Um, that, is, that is something that we shouldn't be doing. And he's, he does have a bill up for that. But you know, other than that, we, we're not seeing a lot of substantive legislation out of this. We, we've got the Irene Weber Bridge. This is a woman who was in Cordova who didn't know how to to put a capitalization on her first name, it's lowercase i, Irene. And so now she's got a bridge named after her. I mean, come on people, we have some serious problems and um, in this state of, of getting our house in order and that's all we can do. So I'm not, not too impressed and I don't think most Alaskans are either. You know, you see it in the comments, people are saying, yep. We did that uh, poll, we did a poll, I don't know, a week or so, week or so ago and just ask the simple question. We didn't allude to any grading that we thought that deserved, but you know, what grade would you give the state house and the state senate for this year's session? And literally, I would say, not even exaggerating, 95% of everybody that commented gave them an F or something worse than an F that they made up in the comment thread. Yeah, that's so funny. Well, listen, everybody, before we go, for the rest of the week, you know, we're always going to be at mustreadalaska.com or sign up for the newsletter and you'll get us there too. It's on the, it's on the right-hand side of the page. You could just sign up for the newsletter in that little box and, uh, you know, drop your e email in there. And we'd love to see you on Monday, Wednesday, Friday at the newsletter. Scott Levesque, our producer, I want to thank you for doing our show uh, for us. And I know you have a great show coming up on Wednesday. Everybody needs to tune in to the Wednesday edition of the Must Read Alaska podcast. Scott's going to have a very special guest, and I know you're going to want to hear from her. If you're a supporter of Must Read Alaska, 
I just want to thank you so much. You make a huge difference in our ability to, you know, just keep the mainstream media on its toes and tell the other side of the story. And we're, we're going to stay here supporting the conservative side of the news. So your donate button is right there on the right-hand side. And thank you so much, everybody. Until next week, we're signing off. Uh, so much. Bye.